Welcome to Movie Oubliette, the film review podcast for movies that most people have mercifully forgotten. I'm Dan. And I'm Conrad. And in each episode, we drag a forsaken film out of the Oubliette, discuss it and judge it to decide whether it should be set free, <laughs> or whether it should be thrown back and consigned to oblivion forever. <laughs> Hello everyone and welcome to Movie Oubliette, the continental colliding movie review podcast with me, Dan, mournfully farewelling my beloved 30s down here in Melbourne, Australia. And me, Conrad, looking forward to some nostalgic Indiana Jones fun this afternoon in Cambridge, UK. Mm, yes, yes. In this podcast, we discuss overlooked fantastical cinema, sci-fi horror and fantasy because intergalactic wars over ice... Just sounds like a good time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. On the rocks, yes. Hello, yeah. Dan. <laughs> Hello. Hello, Conrad. How are you? I'm very well, but you're mourning your 30s. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, I think we, I did mention it in, in our Minnesota, but um, yes, I've turned, turned 40 um, <sighs> and uh, no longer young and youthful and, <laughs> you know, energetic. <laughs> Mold and creaky and tired, um, <laughs> but you know, it's 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 a new decade for me. It's a new a new chapter in my life. Well, if it helps, you don't look any different. <laughs> well, I don't know. There's some debate about that. <laughs> Did you have a good celebration though? Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, I, I had some friends around yesterday. We had um, so what we call potluck. In, in Australia, mm-hmm. I don't know what you whether you call it that. Where where everyone brings a plate of food, kind of thing. I don't know what would oh. you call that in in the UK. I no idea. I've, it's never <laughs> come up in my life. Oh really? Before. Oh okay. <laughs> yeah yeah. So I've had uh, if you have a dinner party, if you call it a potluck, people will bring a, everyone oh. that attends brings a plate of food. Um, so this is an array of different food and um, tasty treats uh, and yeah. Yeah, I had that last night with some friends and had a bit of a, a game, tasting game that Hannah conjured up. Uh, we, we were blindfolded. We had to, like, try to pick all these pieces of food um, just by taste. That was fun. Um, and, um, yeah, for my birthday, um, my wife Hannah uh, organized a video message with all our friends and family, you included, Conrad, had uh, yes. some contribution in that. It was very touching and heartwarming <laughs> and, you know, uh, emotional. <laughs> yeah. yeah, several of our regular guests appeared on there too, which was great. Yeah, yeah. I mean, your your contribution was pretty much like a, a mini documentary of our time oh. together as a podcast. <laughs> our lives, yeah. <laughs> which is well, nice. you know me. I can't help but get sentimental about these things. <laughs> mm, mm, mm. Yeah, but it was it was nice. It was really nice. Yeah, quite a milestone. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Life begins. <laughs> yeah, and you are going to uh, see another Indiana Jones movie, another installment of Indiana Jones. Yeah, I'm like an abused child. Even after Crystal St- <laughs> Crystal Skull, yeah. I'm still going back for more punishment. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, did you ever watch uh, Young Indiana Jones? The, the, was it a TV show or set of movies in the 90s? 
Yeah, it was TV episodes and, and TV movies. I think they were edited together. No, I'm not even sure that they showed here or if they did that it was very consistent in terms of time mm. slot and channel. Yeah. I don't know. But I recently just purchased all of them oh, right. um, <laughs> from eBay for like a really knockdown price mm. after I checked in with Michael French and said, hey, are these actually any good? And he said, well, the World War One period ones are you know, okay. really well thought of. Yeah. So I thought, okay, I'll check it out. Right, right, right. Yeah, I've never seen them, ever. Yeah, I, I have no idea whether they're good or not. No, me neither. So I'm looking forward to that. So that's Sean Patrick Flannery, who we saw in Powder. Ah, uh, yes. Yes, yes. The young Indiana Jones in a lot of them. I think it covers two time periods when he's two different ages. Ah, okay. So, yeah. That's really interesting. Yeah, that they were doing the sort of the prequel uh, route back back then. Yeah, exactly. And I know it's when ILM did some pioneering digital map painting work when they were experimenting because ah. they could do it at a TV resolution, so it was easier. Right. So, yeah. Right. Ah. No. Yeah. <laughs> I think it could easily be a I don't know Dreamland or a live panel or a video essay or something. Oh, like okay. That, so. we'll yeah. Mm. All right. Well, uh, anything in the mailbag today from our listeners, Conrad? Oh, loads. Space Camp inspired a lot of correspondence. Oh, we yes. also have a new patron, Thomas. Oh, Hello, hey. Thomas. Hello, Thomas. Yeah, thanks for joining us and supporting the show. And we had an email from Braden on Space Camp. It was a lovely long email that touched on various aspects of the movie. Mm-hmm. But the bit that had me howling as I read it was this. The motivation for Kate Capshaw's character, Andy, is completely wrong. The only practical reason Andy would have for riding the kids as hard as she does is if she knows that they'll be launched into orbit. She, of course, has no way of knowing this will happen, (laughs) so instead she comes off as an unlikable obsessive. The scene featuring the failed simulation, which ends with her reprimanding Kevin, spitting the line, your excuses are pitiful for killing four people. Kevin, to his credit, keeps some perspective and simply responds... It's just space camp. I agreed with him. (laughs) Yeah. If it were real astronaut training, I could understand that type of pressure. But something designed to keep kids busy for a summer afternoon? Get some therapy, Andy. (laughs) (laughs) That's very true. It is very true. It is, yeah. And he concluded that paragraph by saying, At the beginning of the film, Andy cannot understand how she's been passed over for a shuttle mission for someone else who gets airsick in cars. The reason becomes obvious. Nobody wants to spend a week in orbit with her. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I hadn't thought of it that way, but actually it's Mm. uh, quite true. Yeah. Anyway, Braden sent us a lovely long email and I really enjoyed reading it. So, uh, yes, thanks for sending that. Mm. Uh, we also heard from the aforementioned Michael French at Retro Blasting, who said, I grew up with this on official VHS. Mm. It's one of those movies I can never remember if I've purchased on Blu-ray or not. <laughs> oh, yes. I have this problem. Sometimes I buy films twice now. It's so bad. Yeah, I mean, I, I keep buying films as potentials for, for Oubliette, and sometimes I forget <laughs> I bought them. And so a film will come up, and I'm like, do I do I have that? I, I can't even remember. <laughs> I, have to, I have to check the stat. Yeah, so I buy it, and I look at it and think, oh, that's a great Blu-ray. And then I go to my shelf and find the appropriate section for it, and lo and behold, it's there oh, already. No. Oh, no. Oh, no. 
I, moron. <laughs> I've yet to buy a movie twice. Well, you're 40 now, Dan. It's coming. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> we also heard from Nick, uh, regular correspondent Nick. Space Camp is one of my childhood nostalgia movies. Saw it many times back in the day, so much so that I still call Joaquin Phoenix Leaf to this day oh. when I see him on screen. Also, it may have spluttered in at number six on the charts on release, but come on, what a top five. Weren't the 80s great? Mm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I always feel bad when I look at all of these uh, box office charts from the past because the variety on display. Yeah. In terms of genre yeah. and style of movie. Now it's just CGI blockbuster mm. after another. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, of course, we heard from Surge of Cold Crush Pictures. Hello, Surge. Hey, Surge. Space Camp charmed me. The first half has practically no stakes, but then the sudden shift into life-or-death drama at the halfway point is exhilarating. It's scrappy and really rough around the edges, but that just makes it easier for me to root for. Mm. I'm currently listening to the pod, and I just want to say to Conrad, I also noticed Max's hand-animated shadow passing over Kate Capshaw, and it got an audible groan from me. Oh, yes. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> I did. I did watch it back. Uh, I didn't think it was that bad. It was okay. It was. Yeah. It, was it looked very Disney, if anything. <laughs> yeah, that's true. It does have that touch mm. to it. But uh, yeah, it took me out of the uh, jeopardy at the moment. Right, unfortunately. Right. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, thank you everyone who took the time to write in and comment on our socials this week. We love hearing mm, from you. Yes, and we especially do like getting uh, long emails at movie.oobliet at gmail.com. Mm. So uh, I guess, Conrad, we should reveal the film for today. Yes, we should. Let me just hurry on over to the Oubliette and find out what it is. Okay. Oh, I seem to be in a spaceship of some kind. Oh, in space again. Mm. Good grief. Well, I don't know what happened then, but I'm really sort of achy and my hair's gone grey. Yeah, I've got this long beard now. Yeah. I'm not sure I can remember why I'm here. <laughs> You're getting a bit too old for this, Conrad. <laughs> oh, I found a movie. I'm coming back. Okay. Hey, it's called Passion Storm. Ooh. Wow, I seem to have reverted back to my original age. Yeah, it's like nothing ever happened. Bizarre. <laughs> what do you have today, Conrad? So today I have dragged back from 1984 the American comedy science fiction film The Ice Pirates. Written by Stuart Raffill and Stamford Sherman, and directed by Stuart Raffill, and starring Robert Urich, Mary Crosby, Michael D. Roberts, and Angelica Houston, and Ron Perlman. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, yes, yes. And this movie was uh, selected for us by one of our patrons. Yes, it was. It was nominated by Christopher among many other wonderful films mm. nominated by our patrons, and it came up on the uh, Oubliette Roulette. Yes, yes, the lucky winner. So, what happens in this film, Conrad? Well, it's set in a future in which water has become a precious commodity and for some reason is hoarded and transported by an evil empire called the Templars in its densest and most cumbersome form. And we meet our <laughs> hero, 
Captain Jason. He's the leader not of Argonauts, but of a rogue band of ice pirates who sneak onto Templar ships to steal their precious cargo. On one such heist, the pirates are forced to take the beautiful Princess Karina hostage in an effort to escape. But Jason and his trusty sidekick Roscoe are captured and sent to the Templar homeworld to be castrated, lobotomized, dressed in white unitards and wigs, and sold as slaves. Mm. The princess intervenes to preserve their manhood on the condition they take her on a quest to find her father who went missing while searching for a mythical planet whose surface is 71% water, if you can imagine that. But it turns out the evil empire let them escape so they could track them to the planet and monopolise its precious resources. Will they reach their watery Shangri-La? Will it turn out to be Earth after all? And will they catch the space herpy that's loose on the ship? Oh, yes. (laughs) Find out after the break. Yeah, in Ice Pirates. And we're back, scraping the back of the fridge (laughs) with ice pirates. Dan, had you ever seen this crystallized gem of a movie before? Uh, No, no, I had not seen this movie. But I think I caught it on TV just little bits. Because there were two scenes that just seemed very familiar. I think I must have switched on the TV like late at night or something and just caught these just random parts of the film. Zero context, so I had no idea what was going on but yeah (laughs) very familiar when i watched it again but only two small scenes i never caught this before had you seen this in the 80s i had yes so i saw this as a child Uh and as christopher said when he nominated the movie it felt like it was like a ideal for kids in terms of its sense of humor mm-hmm. strong concern that it would not hold up rewatching it as an adult yeah so this is another film that quite clearly followed in the footsteps of the star wars trilogy yes Every studio is trying to jump on the bandwagon and get some of that sci-fi space opera Mm. money in their bank. Yes. And this one was put together by MGM. Apparently, originally, it was deathly serious. Right. It was written by... Stanford Sherman, whose other famous film of this era is Krull from 1983. Right, yes, yes. Not much since. I've looked at his credits, not much since. And it was originally budgeted at around 24, 25 million, but MGM, as it frequently does, was having serious financial woes. Mm. So they went to the director, Stuart Raphael, who'd made one other movie in a completely different genre, and said, Mm -hmm. do you think you could pull this off for less money? And he said, Yes, if I can completely rewrite it as a comedy, I can do it for eight million bucks. Uh-huh. So that was the approach they went with. Yeah, I have to say, <laughs> uh, first of all, we've sort of tapped into this year or in the, in the sort of last few episodes of a, just a gold mine of movies I've never seen with the genre of 80s cheap action adventure sci-fi. Yes. Uh, all kind of trying to capitalize on Star Wars. So we, we did Space Hunter earlier this year and, and Battle Beyond the Stars was that this year as well. Mm. But they all have a very similar approach. You've got a sort of a reluctant hero. There's sort of a love interest thrown in there often. And yeah. 
very similar to Star Wars as well. But in terms of tone, I really liked the comedy in this. Right. Uh, as opposed to Battle Beyond Stars, which was very serious and very kind of dull. And uh, the, because it was so cheap, it came across as a bit shitty. Like, whereas <laughs> this, it is shitty, but it kind of embraces the shittiness. <laughs> yes. Like, and it pokes fun at itself. It makes everything a gag and a sort of a comedy skit by how shitty it is. Like the robots are just terribly designed and don't have any sort of <laughs> maneuverability, but they kind of lean into that. Yeah. Like they know that they're shit <laughs> sort of thing. Yeah, they do. I mean, the production design isn't terrible. I have to say the matting effects or the compositing for all the spaceship sequences are a damn sight better than Space Camp. <laughs> well, yes, 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 yes. Released two years later. Visually, it's quite striking. There's a lot of primary colour washes on it, I noticed. Mm. They're using sort of an industrial location to stand in for various futuristic settings. Mm. There's a little bit of cheap and cheerful reuse, like some of the establishing shots of the domed city, the Templar homeworld, yeah. are, are just lifted straight out of Logan's Run. <laughs> yeah, I recognised it. Yeah, I 100% recognised it from Logan's Run. Same set, right? Exactly the same set. It is, yeah. Yeah. But this movie has a lot of influences as well. Mm. So it is, I mean, obviously trying to capitalize on Star Wars, but there's medieval knights in there. <laughs> they are pirates, actual pirates with swords. Yeah. You know, they're not using laser swords or anything futuristic, actual cutlasses. Yeah. Um, Knee boots. <laughs> yeah. And, and there's also, yeah, like lasery guns and that sort of thing and spaceships. Um there's just so much going on. Just <laughs> is like so much to take in in everything. And a lot of film influences as well. So, I mean, obviously Star Wars looms large in the background of this one. Mm -hmm. There are various things you could point out, like, you know, there's a princess that's captured and taken away. And then when they escape, yes. the evil guys are tracking them to where they're going for the third act finale. Mm. There's a cantina scene with a band of aliens drinking and it ends with a shock dismemberment at the end of it. Uh -huh. There are various comparisons to be made there with Star Wars. But there's also references to Alien. I said something about the space herpy, which is like this ah, yes, yes. disgusting little alien. Alien sort of wormy creature with teeth that at one point launches its way out of Ron Perlman's Sunday roast that he's made. Yeah, for yeah, the crew. yeah. So there's a chest burster scene, but it comes out of a chicken breast. Yes. <laughs> yeah, ridiculous. I just get the feeling that Stuart Raffo just threw everything up at the wall to see what would stick. Yeah. I mean, even going costume-wise, like I think Roscoe, the character Roscoe, is wearing like a French Revolution, Napoleonic type costume at uh, one point. There's almost like Baroque, like classical music type costumes and, and, and the Knights Templar type uh, sort of medieval outfits. Yeah. It's almost like they just raided all of the costume de departments of all of the movies <laughs> and just threw it into this movie. Yeah, I guess they just read the script that said Ice Pirates and just went completely literal mm. with it. And uh, yeah, it's Pirates in Space. And you've got a lovely band of merry men with our Robin Hood style character. Yeah. Uh, including right. 
very early appearances. I think first film appearance of Angelica Houston. Oh, really? Oh. Yeah, I believe prior to this, she'd been a fairly statuesque model, which you can understand because she looks incredible. Mm. She plays Maida, who's this tough-as-nails fighter who's very good with a sword. Mm. And you've also got Ron Perlman in a very early role as Zeno, yeah. who is the chef. It's really interesting. Like, this is his fourth appearance on the podcast. And all of his roles are so different. Like, yeah. Kronos, City of Lost Children, French film. I mean, Kronos, Spanish-speaking film. And then Season of the Witch, is terrible Nicolas Cage film. And then oh, this. Gosh, like, he, yeah. his range. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I really respect Ron Perlman. Interestingly, I tried to find an interview with him to see uh, what his memories were of the film and uh, any thoughts that he had on it. And uh, it, the interview went like this. Interviewer, can you talk for a moment about Ice Pirates? Ron Perlman, probably not. I mean, I guess I could. Life is real short, man, you know? <laughs> <laughs> So that's Ron Perlman's take on Ice Pirates. (laughs) I found a lot of the action scenes in this movie, they are very triumphant and, you know, um, energetic, but like really messy. Mm. Like I don't really see what's going on most of the time there's a lot of decapitations a lot of severing of limbs in this movie as well with no one seeming to get hurt like at one point one of the characters gets his hand cut off yes and he doesn't even scream with pain or anything it's like he just (laughs) yells at one of the other characters just grab my hand don't forget my hand (laughs) yeah that's ron perlman as zeno right yes and later on he's obviously had his hand replaced but he he keeps the old severed hand and uses it for a gag where he offers it somebody <laughs> That's to, right. to shake their hand and they and it comes off. It's very strange. Most of the decapitations involve robots, though, which I guess makes them more palatable for the PG certificate that they were shooting for. Right. Because it's robots cutting each other's heads and arms and legs off. Yeah. And l- lots of it's slapstick. It is very slapstick. But yeah, there are quite a few... Human heads. Well, yeah, there are a few human heads. The bar brawl uh, that you mentioned, I think one of the characters' heads head is, is decapitated. But it's definitely not graphic. No. It's quite silly. Like, you can see at one point she swings her sword and he kind of reaches for his neck or something. And in the next scene, it's an obvious dummy head falling off an obvious <laughs> dummy corpse. Like, it's, <laughs> it's not... um believable whatsoever no it's not it comes off as childish and silly and clearly it's squared at a particular market yeah yeah but curiously mixed in with that we have castration jokes which is yeah (laughs) interesting yeah so at at one point they're captured by the templars and and sent to this factory where they're going to be turned into eunuchs, essentially. Uh, Eunuch slaves Mm. um, that wear all white and white wigs and white (laughs) moustache just attached on, I'm guessing, white (laughs) eyebrows. But they are lobotomized, I think you said. Yeah. Uh, So they're completely compliant slaves. But yeah, a hilarious scene at the same time uh, when they're getting castrated. Yeah, I mean, they're strapped to a conveyor belt and then there's this ridiculous pair of metallic teeth that comes down and is headed towards their groin (laughs) until 
the very last moment when nothing happens and the princess has obviously arranged for them to slide through untouched. Mm. But still, dick jokes. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. I, I found the, the Nick scene kind of like, oh, I was like quite tense. Like, are they going to go there? Like, because they are turned into slaves. Mm. And at one point, one of the characters asked for, oh, how about the black one? And I'm like, oh, is this, I don't know. Are you going to step over that line? They kind of don't, but it's almost like, oh, I don't know whether that joke works now. Yeah, it's there are some awkward moments. There's also a moment in the bar brawl scene where a mercenary who's trying to track the ice pirates down uses the N-word. Yeah. Now, in the film's favour, the other person who sat at the table with him blanches when he says it, and he quickly retracts it and says, I meant the black gentleman. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, still, I wasn't expecting that in, in this type of movie. I guess, you know, this is... I guess for, like, teenage boys, right? Yeah, clearly. I don't know. I didn't expect the N-word in, the, in a movie like this. No, I, racial slurs in the middle of a PG <laughs> movie. But, I mean, I suppose they existed in the world and it's just reflecting the world back. But still, there's no need for that joke to be in there. It's not even funny, particularly. No, 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 so, no. I don't think the movie's presenting it as something to be admired, but it's not funny, so I'm not really sure why they bother. Mm, mm. But it just feels like they're just trying every type of comedy they, uh, to see what hits. Yeah, some of the comedy, like eye-rolling, yeah. but still enjoyable, but eye-rolling. <laughs> At the start, when they laser through this big metal door, they all take turns to try to bash it down. It's like, let, let me have it. And then... You can't get through it, and then the next character can't get through. It's like, is this funny? I don't, I don't know whether this works. <laughs> and then once they get through, they barge in through a bathroom, a toilet, and there's an alien on the on the toilet seat, and and they just keep walking past, like you get him, or like or to the next character, and it, keeps, it just keeps going. It's like, is this funny? I'm not sure. <laughs> well, that was the point where I, as a kid, knew what I was getting into. Yeah, you know, sure. Because sure. it starts very seriously, and yeah, Bruce Broughton's doing this sort of experimental woodwind uneasy thing as the camera sort of panning through the cockpit with the mm. robots hanging from the ceiling in a row ready to be this boarding party and all the pirates with their backs to us mm. getting ready and then the lasering through the wall which is like the beginning of Star Wars. Yes. And then they right. burst in and interrupt somebody on the toilet and there are farting noises and I thought <laughs> oh okay. Yeah, it's that type of movie, yeah. It's that type of movie. <laughs> yeah, which I don't think we'd seen before at that point. No. You know, I don't think there'd been an out-and-out, -out farcical, satirical, silly sci-fi comedy. Yeah, like something similar would be Spaceballs, obviously. And that's that's 100% just a complete spoof of Star Wars. Yeah. Whereas this, you know, it borrows from Star Wars, but it's still its own thing. It is, yeah. But, yes, very heavy on the comedy. It is, yeah. So Spaceballs was Mel Brooks's entry and that came in 1987. But I have to say, as a kid, I didn't really like Spaceballs. Yeah. It felt like 
dad jokes by somebody who didn't really understand the genre. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I felt like that with all spoof type movies anyway. Mm. They aren't great movies. Like all the scary movie franchise, you know, spoofing like all the horror movies. Those aren't good films. No. (laughs) But um, yeah, I don't know. You either like them or you don't like them. Yeah, I think probably Airplane is the granddaddy of them all. Okay, yeah. And it's absurdist humour that is so spot on and and then goes off on such completely bizarre tangents. Yeah. I mean, it's untouched, I think. And everything that came after, scary movie and teen movie and blah, blah, blah. Mm. It's just not very good comedy. Spaceballs for me is sub Woody Allen adult humour that just flies completely over your head or it's sort of dad jokes. Mm. The only part of Spaceballs that I actually liked was John Hurt having the chestburster coming out of him in a restaurant and saying, oh, not again. And then (laughs) the alien putting on a top hat, picking up a cane and dancing across the counter singing, hello, my baby, hello, my honey. (laughs) Because it was absurd, just ridiculous, and I loved it. Mm. That was the only thing in Spaceballs I found funny. Funny. This is just pure teenage boy humour. It is. Just it is. Yeah. Robots shitting themselves, <laughs> and then the next robot in the queue slipping up in it in the background, while another scene yeah, is playing out in the yeah. foreground. It's mm. farts. It's dismemberment. It's things like uh, when Jason, our leading man, our dashing pirate hero, first sees the princess sleeping like Sleeping Beauty in a glass coffin. Mm. The first thing he does after being entranced by her beauty is look down her blouse. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) While she's asleep, which of course is appalling. It's non-consensual. It's Mm. abuse. But in this context, it's sort of, oh, isn't he a scoundrel type of inappropriate behaviour? I know. It's that sort of hero that was quite popular in the 80s or 90s where yeah the scoundrel the the discourteous character and sort of disrespectful to woman Mm. that was kind of that hero that existed uh in the 80s yeah so sort of boys will be boys so we know it's wrong but you know guys like boobs it's gonna happen yeah whereas really it should be no you shouldn't do this. I know, I know, I know. Especially (laughs) that line after when they're trying to get away and then he says something like, oh, what happened to raping and pillaging? It's like, oh, God. Yeah. (laughs) That's bad. Yeah, make pirating great again. (laughs) Yeah. Like the good old days. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, it's only a few lines in this movie that are just like, oh, that doesn't date very well. For the most part, he's not terrible as a character. No, he's not. He's presented as a guy who's very dedicated to his crew. He's very angry when the evil people shoot one of his crewmates who's wounded. Mm. He's presented as a good guy. He's not sort of a selfish narcissist and kind of dopey. The film sort of sends him up like, you know, the scene in the cantina Mm. where he's making fun of the princess and setting her up for a bad situation by saying hey the only way we can get a land speeder out into the desert to see the hermit Mm -hmm. which is another star wars reference surely um is to use your feminine wiles on the guy that has the land speeder because that's the only way we're going to get anywhere and it turns out the the guy quote unquote is actually a lady and is more interested in jason yeah so things backfire on him he's not always shown 
going to be faultless in any mm, way. Mm. The film makes fun of him too. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and the fact that he does have a lot of、um, sort of camaraderie for his his other pirates as well. Like he's not like a lone wolf. No, he doesn't treat them as expendable by any means,、mm. and he has genuine affection for them too. All of them. Yeah. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, what did you think about the love story aspect of this movie between Jason and is it Princess Karina? Princess Karina. Yeah, I was slightly worried that we were going into sort of Stockholm syndrome territory, where he. Picks her up and runs off with her,、mm. and as a result of that, she just finds his charms irresistible. But actually, they're captured almost immediately. And although she gives him a look when he's being led away, I don't think it's that she's attracted to him or intrigued by him necessarily, as she spots an opportunity. Yeah, that's what it is. Think first. She's thinking about finding her father. That's what she really cares about.、Mm. So I think. She just sees him as a means to an end, and it's only after they've spent some time together that she slowly warms to him. But still, it's kind of fast and unjustified. <laughs> it is. It is very fast. Like because she seems to not like him at all. Like she pulls a gun on him、mm. to make him do her bidding, like to find her father. But then, it, yeah, it quickly turns into this love story. And then climaxes at that love scene, which is just <laughs> bonkers, over the top, and yeah, like you said, bonkers. Because they go into this, I guess, hologram room, and it's like a, a thunderstorm, and there's lightning, and then rain as they're making love, and it's oh, what what is this? It's like some Brian Adams music video or something.、Um, <laughs> yeah. Just crazy, yeah, and it goes on for ages as well. <laughs> yeah, it does, and it's clearly ridiculous. I mean, they're being sprayed with water. There's, it's not sexy at all. No, it's, it's no. just silly, ridiculous. It's sort of mocking those sorts of love scenes where you know people are on the beach and being sprayed with water and so yeah, on. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, just taking、yeah. it to the nth degree. It's kind of like、uh, over here in the UK, Cineworld does these. 4D experiences、oh, where yes. you've got、This、the chairs wind, that、yeah. move and it puffs <laughs> air in your face and sprays you. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, yeah, somebody who went to see the latest Fast and Furious movie said it's a stupid movie, but if you're going to see it, see it in these screens because <laughs> when a character drives down the side of a dam at one point, the chairs are going crazy. You're being Air puffed in your face and sprayed so much you're dripping wet when you leave. Yeah,、uh, he and his friend were just pissing themselves with <laughs> laughter the whole time. Wow, because <laughs> it's、okay. so ridiculous. So yeah, it was like that. Okay, it's silly,、yeah. mm, and mm, of course mm. they conceive a child during that scene. Yes.、Uh, well, I guess it, we should talk about the end, the final act, which is again. Completely bonkers. Yes.、Uh, so they end up in this time warp where it keeps time jumping years into the future, and yeah, Princess Karina 
gets pregnant and then conceives a child while this big battle was unfolding with robots and <laughs> the the villain Zorn or Zone or whatever his name is yeah. and all sorts of things going on and then fast forwarding time jumping forward it's a lot to take in it's a lot to take in for a third act i mean story wise let's be honest the movie is all over the map. It I is. mean, after you've established the characters and they've been caught and then they've been set free, the second act is just, I don't know, they're searching for something or a person that knows something and it just goes from one scene to the next and I don't really know what's motivating things or what's going on. And then the third act is just this <laughs> bizarre time warping to earth mm. sequence, which I have to say, conceptually, it's bold, it's daring. I haven't seen it before mm. to have a battle scene where the characters keep aging by decades as it progresses. Yeah, So yeah. eventually uh, Robert Urich is replaced by another actor who's yeah. <laughs> elderly and with a long white beard. And then he reappears as his own son to save the day <laughs> yeah. at the end of the battle. Yeah. Because by this time, Karina's had the baby. So yeah, it's conceptually interesting. In terms of being entertaining... I'm not sure it's particularly satisfying. Certainly, I remember as a kid, I found it a bit of a letdown. Yeah. You know, just sort of scrappy and stupid. And, you know, I wanted it to actually give me the standard Hollywood action payoff. Mm. But instead, I just get this farcical comedy. And the way it's presented, it looks like the editor gets bored and just starts fast forwarding through it because yeah, they just yeah, yeah. can't be bothered anymore. <laughs> yes. Yes, yes. Um, and also the, the costumes, like they have these enormous wigs, yeah, big grey wigs. I think Roscoe has a massive grey afro at one point. Yeah. It's ridiculous. It is ridiculous. And then you, the villain bursts in and it's almost like, oh, what? <laughs> He's this old granddad now and the robots are useless uh, as they are throughout the entire film. And then it just flashes back and it's like, None of that happened. No. It is very similar to something that Red Dwarf would do, though, I have to say. That's a good shout. Yes, Red Dwarf would quite happily do something like this, and you could see the inspiration there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I do agree. It, it was a bit of a letdown in terms of, like, this big build-up to the final conclusion, and then you get this weird, yeah, <laughs> quite hard-to-follow scene as well especially when they flash back and it's got all these flash cuts um, to the present day and then the future old age oh it's yeah it's bold that's uh, that's one word to describe it <laughs> yeah as a science fiction concept is interesting but then of course they don't treat it seriously because they just snap everything back to the way they were afterwards so uh, yeah yeah it's yeah utterly yeah. pointless <laughs> <laughs> I do have a few questions to do with some of the characters or plot of the movie. So who was the old guy in that sort of hospital bed? Yeah. Who was that? So he was kind of the emperor. He's played by John Carradine, who is a golden age of cinema mm. actor. I mean, his career goes way back. And this was one of his last movies. And he was doing a lot of this sort of scrappy stuff. He's in The Howling as well in 1981 as an aging werewolf. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, John Carradine would show up in this sort of thing. And it's sort of a glorified cameo. So he's the evil emperor, supposedly. Okay. Um, the Zorn guy is Darth Vader, I suppose. Yeah. He's a bit camp. Because I didn't really get that because I didn't know who he was. He's only in one scene. Yeah. Never see him again. Nope. He didn't seem 
evil enough. No. That scene could almost be completely taken out and it wouldn't have changed the movie whatsoever. No, you're right. So, yeah, I was really confused. No, it has no consequences at all. I think you just learn that they know what's going on and they kind of want the princess to escape because they want to find the water planet too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I did find a lot of similarities with this movie as Space Hunter, like going on a quest to find a thing or save a thing and seeing all of these interesting, colourful characters along the way, yeah. different planets. Oh, actually, similar to Battle Beyond the Stars as well. Mm. Yeah, and, and why is it in, in sci-fi is where they go to a planet and it's either, yeah, a, a metropolis with, like, you know, cantinas or a desert? There's, like, no other types of planets in sci-fi. <laughs> well, I, that's it. I think that may have something to do with them all being shot in California. So it's, well, yeah. That's it's true. kind that's of true. desert or bust, I guess, <laughs> when it yeah. comes to your alien planet or a studio with a smoke machine in it at one point. Mm, yeah. yeah. Another thing I did find similar to Space Hunter was uh, sort of the appearance of these kind of Amazonian women. Mm. So in Space Hunter, there are the water Amazonians, and and this is kind of similar. You know, just very strong, fierce woman in uh, not much (laughs) into the clothing. (laughs) Yeah, pretty much like Angelica Houston, actually. I'm not sure why that was kind of a trope. I don't know if it kind of come up with an alien society, I suppose, a society in which women are the strong ones, I guess, was pretty mm. exotic for 1980s. I don't know. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I guess so. I guess so. Mm. It's sort of going back to sort of leaning into the crappiness of this movie. Um, yeah, that, that character that they find in the desert that tells them where to go next. His death scene is, again, very silly. He, he literally just goes, Ugh, and he, he's dead. <laughs> yeah, after delivering some final lines, which I think in some of them are sort of ADR'd as well, just to make it clear what their goal is for the next scene. Yeah, yeah. I also noticed some of the ADR, there's like repeats. I think when they arrive at Mithra, the planet, you can hear this guy just saying, oh, it's Mithra, and then the exact same recording hey it's mithra like yeah it's almost like they were just leaning into the shittiness again even with adr and the audio possibly i think also it's the result of post-production woes so apparently bruce broughton the composer said that mgm's negative reaction to the first cut of the film resulted in substantial re-editing scenes were completely moved around the score was chopped up and pasted together to fit the new cut and there was hardly any time to do a good job to be fair to the film it was much better in stewart's cut it flowed better it was funnier it made more sense the finished version wasn't as good in the view of the composer really Mm, interesting i wonder if that cut exists yeah i don't know i've seen an interview where stuart raphael where he talks about the fact that there was a finale to the film that was cut so of course they get to earth because as in so many of these things from this period, even like Battlestar Galactica, it yeah. turns out that are heading towards Earth. Yeah. At the end of the film, said Stuart Raffle, they were meant to arrive at Earth and they fly over the beaches of Malibu with everyone swimming in the water. And the studio head cut that out. He never told me and it was gone. I had to drink vodka to calm myself down. Oh, wow. So they arrive at like present day Earth, mm. like with humans and everything. Yeah, apparently so. Yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. Well, why not? I mean, it's sort of kitchen sink at this point. So. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Now it's time for Random Trivia. 
Okay, it's trivia time. Normally I do it, but Conrad, today it's your turn. What do you have bursting out of a roast chicken today? (laughs) (laughs) Well, speaking of, uh, yeah, last chicken in the uh, butcher's window, um, I'm here to talk about castrations. Oh, yes. Um, (laughs) (laughs) No, it's just a a ridiculous fact that... um, Castrati is probably the most famous example of castrations routinely happening Uh as part of society. And this was in uh, 16th to 18th century Italy, and it was an operatic tradition. So you would castrate boys before they hit puberty, and they would end up with a very distinctive soprano voice Mm. that was quite different from women. And... Uh, I think probably also the reason behind it was women weren't allowed to sing in the church or something. So it's just a way to yeah, you know, right. increase the range of your choir <laughs> without letting any of those pesky women oh, of in. Course. The tradition died out for some reason, mm. you know, being hideously cruel. <laughs> but uh, the interesting thing I wanted to notice in this movie afterwards, they have high voices, all of these eunuch slaves, yes. which of course would not happen because you have to have them removed before your puberty before your voice changes so that your voice doesn't change so yeah so that their voices wouldn't have changed ah right okay silly well i mean it works for the comedy of the movie though (laughs) yeah because they have to sort of pass as eunuchs so they keep forgetting and doing deep voices and then correcting themselves and going yes yes sorry (laughs) yeah no it's very very silly yeah and that's all trivia yes yes So you have already mentioned the composer, Bruce Broughton. Yes. When you're on a panel with Bruce Broughton, was that? Yes, I've interviewed Bruce Broughton as part of Iconicon. <laughs> yes. And he played piano live on the live stream. Can you believe that? Yeah. It was yeah. amazing. <laughs> we should have got him on this episode. <laughs> well, yeah, I don't know. Because having read, I have the CD of Ice Pirates. It was released by Film Score Monthly uh-huh. as a special collector's edition back in the day. But when you read Bruce Broughton's notes on it oh yes you can tell that it's not particularly one that he's proud of yeah Um, it was his big break so he was mostly working in tv at the time so right uh soap operas like dallas shows like buck rogers and oddly enough the logan's run tv show ah right and he had almost no feature film experience but when this film was downgraded in terms of budget it's a great opportunity for a composer to step up and show off what they can do but he had a very small budget he said that he had just a wind band primarily. Okay. There are no strings apart from a few basses. Mm. To quote the composer, I felt a little hamstrung orchestrally, so I did what I'd done before on television. I devised a specific orchestra. I had to rely on brass. I remember I had three or four tubers. It was a way of getting a lot of mass without a lot of instruments, mm. and the electronics were just for colour. Initially, I thought I'd do a corn gold spoof, sort of like Robin Hood meets the space herpy, but it turned out, however, that I really didn't have have much opportunity to do that mm. the film was a sort of campy low budget send-up of star wars and i thought it could have been very funny except that it went in so many different directions it was hard to hold into any specific tone for very long right 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 yeah i did find it 
it did come across as a bit TV scoring it at does, one point, yeah. especially with all the brass. And it did remind me again of Space Hunter, that sort of score as well. Mm. But the pirate aspect of this movie did suit that type of music, that sort of swashbuckling, triumphant, brassy, blaring music. It does. The one thing I don't like about that is it's a rip-off. Is it? It's a rip-off of Lawrence Rosenthal's theme for Clash of the Titans from 1981. Oh. Right. It's almost note for right. note. I mean, I put it in here if I could, but obviously for copyright reasons, I can't. But yeah. check out the main title of Clash of the Titans and the main title of Ice Pirates and, and you tell me. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds shockingly similar. I don't know if that's an early example of the composer being forced to copy the temp track too closely. Right. Could be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ah, yeah, could be, could be. I mean, the whole score is quite cheesy. Mm. It works for comedy, especially this kind of really farcical comedy. There's very quirky woodwind at one point. Um, there's some mysterious piano sort of tinkling away. But there's, there's I think there's theremin at one point as well. Right, yeah. There is a lot of electronic colour in there. And then there's a lot of sort of funky rhythm section, disco era music as well and rhythm guitar and keys and yeah the wacka wackers the nightclub scene felt very almost like hair metal Mm. uh like with distortion guitars and like (laughs) sort of like funk bass put in there yeah 80s drums that sort of thing but even during like the chase scene where they're driving around on a motorcycle and being chased yes it suddenly turns into an episode of chips or night rider it's sort of breaking out True. the drums and yeah. the light funk disco era tv <laughs> sound yeah cheesy as all hell <laughs> yeah, I didn't think it was bad, though. I thought the score, I mean, it was cheesy, but I think it does work. It works, yeah. I mean, it works perfectly for the tone of the movie. Which, mm. Well, the inconsistent slapdash all over the place tone of the movie, but the music certainly supports it and does what it needs to do in each of the scenes that it's in mm. and doesn't yeah. necessarily draw too much attention to itself, except for that masquerade ball. Well, yeah. I mean, that's the, um, the sort of hair metal Mm. Um, sound that I was describing. Yeah, it's I mean, it's, bad. Uh, it's, it's it's 80s. I don't know. That whole scene was pretty bad. Yes. In kind of purposely bad, I guess. Oh, no. The dancing. I don't think so. Was it? No, I think that's supposed <laughs> to be it? good. Yeah, and this is oh, 1984, okay. but it, it looks very 70s, I think. It looks yeah. very okay. Buck Rogers, I Lost My Heart to a Starship Trooper, sort of Bako foil sci-fi. I'm not okay. that fond of yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> Coming to you live from the Movie Oubliette Theatre, it's the prestigious Mobley Awards. Oh, yes, it's the Mobley Awards. It's where we nominate our favourite genital chomping parts of the film in the number of <laughs> oh, time warping categories. Best quote. Well, speaking of which, my favourite quote comes from when they are being transported to have. Uh, parts of their manhood removed and uh, an interesting fact comes up which is that there is a monk among them and it turns out that he's exempt and when this is questioned the character Killjoy says they don't castrate clergy just in case there is a god yeah yeah (laughs) (laughs) which I loved Mm, that's a good line that's a good line my favourite it quote, yeah. it, it's silly, yes, it's silly, it's eye-rolling, it's it's when uh, they have the first sort of scuffle at the start um, with, with the Templars, 
and one of the guys he has a pig leg but there's a sword on his leg and he he fl- he's flung through the window and he stabs uh, one of the templars and then um jason just comes up with a one-liner i guess we got you pigged uh great. i don't know <laughs> oh, it's eye rolling no, but it's, no. it's stupid i love it <laughs> Best hair or costume? So many costumes in this movie. Uh, it's, it's quite hard to pick, actually. Um, but I, I have to, I have to point out Angelica Houston's costume at the start, um, with that <laughs> sort of wireframe bodice kind of uh, uh, highly um, uh, sort of inconvenient, I guess, if, if you're a pirate having wires but um it look it looks interesting it's it's uh yeah and then she's also got like a claw just like face painted on her forehead for some reason i don't know yeah is that is that a it's like menacing you know ice pirate oh yeah yeah or maybe it signifies <laughs> that she's part of a particular clan or something i don't know yeah but I don't know. uh yeah it does look like she's run face first through a bird cage yeah and it, it does got stuck yeah yeah. It's ridiculous. It is. Ridiculous. It's still striking. <laughs> oh, it's striking, yeah. yeah. Angelica Houston pulls it off because she looks fantastic. Mm. There you go. Um, for me, I was going to say that my favourite costume, just because it's bloody ridiculous, is the eunuch slave's outfit. Oh, yes. Which clearly consists of a dance belt, a white leotard with numbers on them, and a ridiculous white wigs and I have no idea why. Is it supposed to be that they're, they've been so shocked by having their knackers removed that their hair's gone white? And therefore Jason and Roscoe are wearing wigs to cover it? I don't know. It's just... I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. But I, again, um, it's very striking and, and unique, you know? <laughs> well, it, yeah, it's definitely that. And it just goes to show that very few men look good in a leotard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Most 80s, 80s moment. Well, I'm actually going to pitch an argument that this does not look 80s at all. This looks 70s to me. Distinctly mm, late 70s okay. disco. It has that disco futurism that I really hate. Right. The sort of Buck Rogers, the NBC TV show from 79 to 81, the whole Princess Ardala trying to seduce Buck. It's, yeah, mm. I just everything's glittery and glittery face paint and silvery foil and mm-hmm. leotards and disco and bleh. I yeah, don't like that version yeah. of the future. Yeah, I, I thought that was 80s, but maybe it is 70s. Maybe, yeah, maybe you're right. Like that masquerade ball, um, it, it's kind of like renaissance costumes meets like 80s like glam but i guess it is more 70s glam there's like neon tube lighting in the background but it it is that sort of 70s flamboyant like ridiculousness it's just tipping over from glam rock into the new romantic so the sort of adam and the ants Mm. which got rid of the glitter but kept the renaissance influences um but brought through with punk so it was a little bit harder edged and less spark yeah yeah no not a fan yeah yeah i'm thinking of like bands like bonnie m and like sort of parliament like that sort of 
yes psychedelic yes, exactly. like ridiculous like <laughs> sequins and feather boas and all sorts of stuff going on exactly yeah right no I think it's most ah, most 70s, 70s this movie in 1984 so yuck <laughs> favorite scene I would say the most like visually striking scene uh, for me was uh, when they they're on the planet with the Amazonians but they're they're just kind of walking through fog like it's really kind of surreal and eerie um they've taken all the sound out so it's just score with this sort of strange theremin line going through it um and then the amazonians kind of in the background and then the sound doesn't come back in until they attack them and so it's blaring horns and they're impaling people with unicorns <laughs> with their horns and and you know uh, <laughs> like whipping yeah. people's necks and dragging them away it's uh, it's like wow this is this is not what i expected it's like really really uh, no. riveting scene it is how many times does jason get dragged in this movie oh, he gets dragged a yeah. lot yeah <laughs> I don't know. Maybe that's an Indiana Jones influence. Oh, yeah, maybe. Because he's getting dragged around a lot. Yes, yes. Mm. And you, favourite scene? I do not have a favourite scene, but I have a by far least favourite scene, and it's something that I remember from childhood very distinctly. Uh-huh. It's this, the during the chase scene, they run over a family of robots. Oh, yes. And yeah. it leaves... One robot left, just spinning around, forlornly crying, baby, mommy, baby, mommy. As a child, that disturbed me to the core. Yeah, yeah. They destroyed that family. Yeah. Those poor robots. (laughs) Most cliche moment. Uh, Cliche for me uh, is all that swinging, just constant swinging on ropes. (laughs) Like, I know it's an action thing, you know, we've got Robin Hood and Indiana Jones doing it. But wow, it's almost like every character is just constantly looking for a rope to swing from. (laughs) Because it it happens a lot. I mean, that's the pirates thing, right? Pirates swing off ropes. Yeah. It's it's the cliche. It is, yeah. And it's very tightly uh, wound with my cliche as well, which is just this whole notion that space is like an ocean. Ergo, there must be pirates in it. I mean, this is a much more literal visual interpretation of piracy. But it still crops up in things like the Reavers in the Firefly series and yeah, the early aughts. Yeah. Uh, Doctor Who, the Patrick Troughton era, had the Space Pirates in 1969. Mm-hmm. Ron Perlman has been a space pirate again in Alien Resurrection in 1997. <laughs> yeah. And uh, even recently, Ad Astra in 2019 has a scene where Brad Pitt is besieged while he's trying to cross the moon mm-hmm. by space pirates. <laughs> yeah, right. Best special effect. My favourite effect is the little sock puppet meerkat things oh, yes. in the desert the scenes. Desert, yes. <laughs> they even managed to pull off some wonderful underground burrowing effects where the sort of sand's puffing up and then this thing pops up from a hole <laughs> a few feet back. Yeah. But... I mean, you can clearly tell this is completely uh, analogue. So it's just guys have been buried in the desert yeah. with a meerkat sock puppet on their hand. And they're just all in coordinated time, just sticking their hands up with these mm. things. And it's so muppety and funny. Yeah. I love it. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I thought that was great. 
<laughs> I like a sock puppet. Yeah, they, they work. They work really well. Um, <laughs> special effect for me, I I quite like the the sort of cryo tube that they discover the princess in. Like it's it's done really mm. well. Like it looks really mysterious and and ethereal. Like they've got the the wafting sort of dry ice, um, wispy fog inside it and when and then the the music's really suitable at the same like very tinkly and magical um she she mm. really does appear like sort of sleeping beauty um but then of course it's, it's destroyed when jason looks down the top <laughs> <laughs> yeah which is not nice, <laughs> not nice. favorite <laughs> sound effect so my favorite sound effect is actually the frog lady's voice oh yeah 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 so the lady the green alien that takes them across the land yes. speeder with the tongue yes yes yeah so um it's not the ribbity croaky cliche voice that i was sort of expecting it's sort of a weird raspy thing and it sounds like the voice actor is speaking as they're inhaling rather than as they're exhaling. Yeah, that's true. So it just has this bizarre tonal quality to it that's uh, unique and interesting mm. that I, I really enjoyed. Yeah, yeah. Mm, yeah. it was noticeable. Mm. Sound-wise for me, I'm just going to point out the, the time warp sound. I know it's a very simple like filter sweep or something with a, with some like noise and, and a synth, like a... Sound, but it does work in terms of like you know, punctuating the time jumps. Yeah, it gets the point across. Yeah, most funniest moment. Well, I'll say the funniest moment for me, which is the one that I always remember. The thing that I remember are two things I remember in this movie needless robot family massacre, yes. and two robot shits itself <laughs> <laughs> during the final battle yeah. in fear. And then later on in the same scene, you spot a robot in the background slip up in the dark yeah, right, yes. and fall over. That's as sophisticated as my humour was <laughs> at that age. And I still laughed at it now. Yeah. So obviously I haven't grown up at all, but still, mm. yeah, I enjoyed it. Yeah, good setup <laughs> and timing of that scene. Um, mm. Funny scene for me, I, th I think it's unintentional, but... Uh, I oh. don't. I think it's a mistake, but I'm I'm not sure. But so in the, in the final scene where it's time jumping and they're all old now, the the son of of Jason has saved the day, um, and then the princess runs over. She's like Jason. She's like yelling out, and her hair. She's got long grey hair at this point. Gets caught up in one of the battle maces. Um, yes, <laughs> she's like trying to untangle herself. I think it looks like a mistake. Surely it's it's unintentional. I uh, think you're right. But I yeah, think you're right. I laugh so hard at that. It's it's uh, yeah, it's hilarious. It is yeah. I, but Mary Crosby just runs with it and just keeps going yeah. like the pro that yeah. she is. <laughs> okay, that's our movies. Yes. Hello, I'm Lance Guest, and you're listening to Movie Oubliette. Okay, it's finally the time for our verdicts. Should 1984's The Ice Pirates be rescued from its rapidly aging time warp uh, and be brought back into the present to be loved by all? Or should it be pummeled with a block of ice by Jason's fully grown, identical-looking son uh, and be shoved <laughs> back into the depths of the oubliette lost forever? Conrad, mm. child favourite of yours, the Ice Pirates. How does it? How's it hold up? Well, I'm not sure I would 
characterize it as a favorite. It was more sort of a, a guilty pleasure even then. I think it was something I appreciated just because of its just ridiculous teenage, not even teenage, prepubescent humor. <laughs> it's all farts and poos and heads coming off yeah. and, and sneaking a peek at girls boobies and <laughs> and big gnashing metal teeth headed straight towards testicles yeah it's silly i mean on the one hand the film is inventive it's vibrant everybody is clearly sold on they know the tone of the movie they're going for all of the actors have completely bought into it and they're just running with it mm. i think yurik is is great as a sort of sub han solo silly figure uh, the, the whole supporting cast is great fun. The production design, they clearly tried their hardest. There's lots of lovely details in there. Yeah. The plot makes no sense at all. I I cannot follow it. <laughs> the finale is deeply unsatisfying. Uh, as I hated it as a kid. And even though conceptually it's interesting as an adult, it doesn't work mm. and doesn't head anywhere. I have to say, I couldn't, as a straight-faced human being, say to another person, "I recommend this." I couldn't. Yeah, I couldn't bring myself oh, wow. to. It. I don't. I don't think it stands up. I still giggled, but I mostly groaned watching <laughs> it now. And also the seventies disco future thing. I just, ugh, I don't like it as an aesthetic at all. So right. I'm going to say no. I'm sorry. I'm sure you had a lot of fun with it. I'm going to say no. Mm, mm, mm. <laughs> yes, I did have a lot of fun with this movie. Uh, it It is terrible. It's a terrible movie, but it knows it's terrible. So it just leans into the terrible. And I love that about it. I really did. Um, it, it's... it's um, it's a fun ride. You know, you meet your crazy, interesting characters along the way. Uh, I don't think the villain works. I don't think it was a very good villain. He wasn't evil enough. He didn't really do a lot. Um, he no. pops up at the end. Doesn't, I don't know. Having the the, the useless robots battling meant nothing. Because it, it felt like... <laughs> I don't even care of the outcome of this. Like, it doesn't even matter. <laughs> um, no, there are no stakes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But yeah, a huge array of really interesting and wonderful characters. Uh, obviously, everyone's having a, a hell of a good time. Um, so I, 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 I liked it. There's, there are some scenes that don't really age that well, but I think for the most part, it is a, a fun ride. And I would recommend this movie. I think it's it's silly and bonkers in all the, all the sort of the best ways, and it is it is oh. an enjoyable watch. Yeah. No, I could understand that coming to it fresh if you've never seen it <laughs> <Yeah>. before, <laughs> and also if you've been disappointed by how po-faced and serious similarly low-budgeted sci-fi yeah. movies from this era have been for you. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Also, wow. it's sort of a genre of cinema. I'm not. As as well versed as maybe you are, uh, so I'm enjoying it. Mm. I'm enjoying it so far. Okay, right. Well, we have to dig out more of these. There are plenty of them. <laughs> yes. So we are tied. So mm. that means we will turn to our patrons Ooh. to see if they can uh, cast the deciding vote. Touch the scale. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Hello, Hal. What are you up to? I'm receiving a signal from the monolith. Oh, that's interesting. We need the final patron vote, please. <laughs> Shockingly, our patrons were undecided. 
It was a tie. It's a tie. Yes. Right. Wow. It's a, t- a tie overall. Yes. It's a complete tie. <laughs> Our patrons were split. Uh, so Eddie Coulter says, let the voyage to the seventh planet continue. I know that it isn't a good movie, but I adore this film since the first time I saw it at a drive-in at the age of 11, mm. which I think is the perfect age to be exposed <laughs> to this film. Oh, it would be great as a drive-in movie. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he says, it's the perfect beer and pretzel movie. Matt Swafford said, Ice Pirates will always have a place on my shelf. It isn't a great film by any stretch, but it's exactly what it aims to be, Mm. a light-hearted, swashbuckling space adventure. I feel like the real lost treasure here is that it should have been a TV series instead of a feature Mm. film. Yeah, yeah. Whereas Wicked Person says, always felt like it was trying to be Spaceballs. And Chazilla says... I think Ice Pirates tried to do too much in one film. I like the idea of sword-wielding Templars and pirates in space alongside janky robots. It definitely had some funny moments, swinging from electrical cables instead of chandeliers, space herpes, (laughs) LSD nightclub sequences and Space Invaders-style weapons displays. It was pretty funny when Jason tried to creep on the princess's boobs and got busted. Mm. I like a good popcorn movie, but it just wasn't for me. Too many gags and jokes that just didn't land. Off with their manhood, dress them in a unitard (laughs) and into the oubliette with them. (laughs) Oh, wow. So, so after all this... Shall we do the, the coin of fate then? The coin of fate! We have to. Yeah. After all of these extra safeguards we introduced, <laughs> we're back to a coin toss. Okay. Dan. Okay. Heads or tails? Ooh. Uh, decapitating heads. Heads. Heads to save the movie. Okay. Okay. Here goes. It's tails. Oh, tails. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, Dan. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. We're throwing it back in. We are, yes. So let me just put this unitard on it. Okay. <laughs> oh, no. Space herpes. And back you go. Yeah, that's interesting. Well, interesting that it was tied. It's very divisive. And I think it's still that way on things like Rotten Tomatoes as well, review oh, aggregators. Yeah, yeah. It's straight down the middle. I guess it just depends whether as a as a f- newly minted 40-year-old you can hold on to your inner <laughs> 11-year-old or not. And obviously I'm getting to the stage where I can't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's a type of terrible movie that I love. Uh, yeah, it's great. Yeah. I mean, that said, I don't hate it. Mm. I honestly don't. Yeah. So if you want to enjoy Ice Pirates, please go on ahead. But I, yeah, I'm not going to be championing it to anybody in a polite dinner party anytime Ooh, soon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There we go. Okay. All right. So yeah. uh, is there going to be something divisive in our next episode? What are we going to be discussing? Well, thankfully, Dan, we are escaping the 80s at last. I'm sure you'll... Re- You'll be relieved. <laughs> but we're still in the genre of science fiction. But oh, yes. this time in 2002, the science fiction children's picture book based adventure film, Zathura. Ah, yes. I, I've only seen this once, but fairly recently. Oh, I saw it around about the time it was on DVD for rental, I think. Okay. Yes. And I don't remember it at all. Mm. So it's uh, is it the same creators as Jumanji? It is. It's sort of a semi-sequel to Jumanji. Yeah. It's based on a Chris Van Olsberg book. 
And okay. it stars Josh Hutcherson, Jonah Bobo, Dax Shepard, Kristen Stewart, and Tim Robbins. And it's directed by Iron Man's John Favreau. Oh, yes. Mm, yeah. Mm. Yeah, really interested to revisit this one. I, I don't really remember it either, uh, apart from a house no. floating in orbit in space. Uh, and that that's it. <laughs> I don't know how they that, got there. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> no, or what happens or what the stakes are or why we should care. Yeah, I have no idea. But uh, yeah, this was picked by our our guest who will be joining us. So it'll be fun. Yes, yes, it will be. It will be fun. Uh, so listeners, if you want to keep up to date with our future episodes and uh, the the. And, <laughs> and Zathora, <laughs> uh, you can follow us uh, as Movie Oubliette everywhere uh, on all platforms. And uh, our email address is movie.oubliette at gmail.com. And if you want to support the show, head on over to Patreon, where for as little as a dollar, you get extra extended chunks of the show. For $5, you can vote on the final verdict, which usually is the deciding yeah, factor. Yeah, Not yeah. today. <laughs> And for $10, you can be an executive producer with behind-the-scenes insights, uh, just like our current executive producers, Chazilla, Eddie Coulter, Isaac Sutton, and Dr. Doggy. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, we have uh, merchandise at Redbubble, a YouTube channel as well. Some interesting stuff there. Some live panels with Bruce Broughton as well. Conrad mm. uh, interviewed Bruce Broughton, uh, the composer of this film. Uh, and if you haven't already, uh, rate and review us uh, on whatever you're listening to, including Spotify, which has a rating system for podcasts now. Mm, yeah, please do. It really helps us out. Yes, 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 it does. Okay, uh, until next time, listeners, thanks for joining us. Goodbye. Yes, watch out for space herpes. <laughs> <laughs> Your he is a she, and she thinks you're wonderful.